welcome back to another episode of Des and Marco. I'm Des. And I'm Marco. That's really the best you could come up with? Yes. <laughs> okay, so welcome to Des and Marco, the podcast that Marco will introduce from now on. Go on, go ahead, introduce. <laughs> no, that's it. I've introduced it. Now it's your turn to talk. Okay, first things first, I would like to give another massive shout out and thank you to last week's guest, Jay Alberts, founder and CEO of Real You, the new personal media app. And I swear to God, this is not a promotion or whatever, but a genuine thank you because he was fantastic on the show and he's welcome back anytime. And we know that at least one or maybe two people installed Real You as a result of our <laughs> interview. That is correct. Some personal acquaintances have mentioned that they have downloaded it. So that's all good news. We were quite impressed with it as well. So, you know, again... This is not some sponsorship, but a genuine recommendation. Cool. Let's jump right into our beers. What have you picked this week? This week, I took advantage of a promotion which was advertised a while ago on Twitter. And this is a brewery which we've already referenced a few times, and it's BrewDog. But they were giving away free beer. We just had to pay for shipping for their brand new batch of lost lager and i would just immediately like to bring attention to the fact that the selling point of this beer is that it's the world's first carbon negative beer so what does that mean it's brewed with surplus fresh bread as, as well as the usual uh, malt and stuff it uses a third less water and it's powered by brewdog's owned wind turbines and on top of that, they also contribute to planting of trees in their lost forest project, which is reforestation of part of the Scottish Highlands. I think it's a little bit of a gimmick. I mean, I love the fact that it's a carbon negative beer and made using what would otherwise be waste. But yes, I ordered it. Yay, carbon negative and all that. But it came in a van. <laughs> what were you expecting to come in? A unicorn? Yeah, but like, it's obviously not 100% carbon negative. But it's obviously a lot better than other beers because the actual process at least mitigates some of the damage. So a bit of a gimmick, but definitely a huge step in the right direction. How about you, Marco? So this week is St. Patrick's Day. So I decided to go Irish. And get the most Irish beer you could possibly think of, Guinness. Well, you uh, reviewed a Guinness not long ago. Yeah, I had done the um, West Indies Porter and I had not reviewed it very well because they make it sound like it's a fancy craft beer, but it just tastes like Guinness. You might as well just drink Guinness. So now I'm looking forward to this one. Hopefully this Guinness will taste differently than the other Guinness which tasted like Guinness. No, but I want this one to taste like Guinness because it is. It's not fancy Guinness, it's just regular Guinness. Anyway, happy St. Patrick's Day and let's get drinking. Cheers. Cheers. Like every episode, let's start with the news. And I understand you've got a couple of interesting things. First of all, I sent you a message a while ago because by the time this episode airs, March the 10th will have come and gone. By the way, he messaged me on Telegram. Check out our WhatsApp with WhatsApp episode. <laughs> anyway, March the 10th will have come and gone. And I had no idea that March the 10th was considered Mario Day. And then once you see it, it makes sense because it's March, M-A-R. And then 10, so it looks like a Mario. Oh, I just see it now. It's like a May the 4th kind of thing. Oh God, that's so stupid. So May the 4th is like a play on the sound because it sounds like May the 4th be with you. But Mario Day is because March the 10th looks like the word Mario. And then that got us thinking about 
Mario and mascots in general, which are used to represent a brand or in this case, a technology gaming company. And obviously mascots are huge in the gaming industry because they have the potential to shift tons of games plus merchandise plus collaborations. So if you get the right mascot, this is a huge money spinner for companies. And I think everybody wants to have one. Yeah, and there's brands that base basically all of their products on mascots. And we're looking at you, Nintendo. Our world-famous news segment is a little bit thin on the ground today. But there are two bits of news which I found interesting. And they are perfect tie-ins for what we're discussing today. So the first one is... Have you heard of the collaboration between Lego and Nintendo? Yes. So for those who aren't aware, Lego have recently released a series of different Lego platforms, which are ties in with Mario. And it may seem like a oddball collaboration, but Lego have had a phenomenal year. Not only are the profits up like 19%, the Super Mario starter set was Lego's top selling product. Was it? Yeah. And it was only launched like halfway through 2020. A random tie-up, and it was incredibly successful. Just recently, do you remember Hot Wheels? Yeah, from back in the day. Yeah, like, obviously, I have not played with toy cars in a long time. But they've released a Rainbow Road-inspired track. (gasps) And you can get the little figurines, like Mario, the Ghost, Boo, the Princess Peach, Toad, etc. And you can race them on a Rainbow Road Hot Wheels track. Really? No, I need to see the link. This is awesome. Don't forget, guys, we'll also include the link in the notes of the episode if you want to check it out for yourselves. Yeah, definitely. That's interesting. That's really cool. But also not too long ago, I think last year in 2020, they released Mario Kart as radio controlled cars. Yes, but that was actually Nintendo off its own back. And it's an augmented reality game for the Switch. Yes, that's right. That you control like an actual remote control card with the Switch and there's a little camera on it and it uses augmented reality to create a little track for you to race. That was a pretty interesting idea. I don't know how long that was in production slash planning for, but it came out at the perfect time. Imagine a time where we can't go anywhere and you make a game designed for playing around your house. Yeah, imagine. You've been working from home and you have your kid (laughs) with a remote control car going around the entire living room while you're trying to focus or you're trying to do a Zoom call. Yeah, perfect time. Perfect timing. Nintendo nailed it. But that leads us to the theme of the episode. So we wanted to start by talking about Mario because I guess he's been a huge influence on both of our lives and not just ours. And then talk maybe a little bit about mascots in general. Like we mentioned before, Mario is 35 today, so he's actually younger than us. (laughs) Who would have thought? Random fact. Do you know Mario's first ever name? Yeah, it's Jumpman. Yes! (laughs) A thousand points for me. And his debut game, I think, was Donkey Kong or Donkey Kong Jr. or something like that. But he was basically the good guy trying to rescue the princess from Donkey Kong. Or am I mistaken? No, that's correct. Donkey Kong was the original mascot for Nintendo. And I think they realized it wasn't as marketable and it switched to Mario and Princess Peach. And then Mario, the whole backstory of being an Italian plumber, and that's the Italian link, by the way, That kind of all came later. Yeah. He was originally called just Jumpman. Because that's all he did. Like, he just jumped. That was his only thing. Do you know why they called Donkey Kong Donkey Kong? I can't fully remember. Like, it's the classic Japanese 80s lost in translation kind of thing. So, obviously, during that period of time, King Kong was very popular. They made a similar animal, like a big 
gorilla and they obviously couldn't use the name king kong but they liked the kong part but because he looked stupid they looked up what the word for stupid was in english and it came up donkey no way they just wanted to call him like stupid monkey and they ended up calling him donkey kong and and this is actually the story that you told me a while back that because of that i think it was universal that sued nintendo because they claimed to own the rights to the word Kong. The movie King Kong had recently been re-released by Universal, the one with Jeff Bridges, so not the, the, the more recent ones. And Nintendo had released Donkey Kong, and obviously the mascot there is this giant gorilla. The Universal people sued Nintendo, thinking that Nintendo at the time was a small company, would essentially give up the rights to their very successful game, which was hitting all over the arcades. A lawyer, whose name I shall reveal at the end, approached Nintendo, or was approached by Nintendo, and basically said, don't fear guys, it means you've made it. It means they're on the map, and that the other companies were beginning to take notice. But it was a classic faux pas, or shot in the face by Universal, because the very first King Kong, black in the black and white movies with no sound or whatever, they didn't pay any copyright fees for the use of King Kong from the original company. They had successfully argued that King Kong had been in the public domain for so long that it had become like general culture, like you can't copyright an idea after it becomes part of the public domain. But then they sued Nintendo for the very same reason. So Nintendo used Universal's own defense against them and won. (laughs) So what was the name of the lawyer? John Kirby. Which then became a fluffy little pink ball. One of the many mascots that Nintendo has. They named them after the lawyer that basically saved them. Exactly. That allowed Nintendo to flourish because they were no longer under threat of persecution financially. Yeah. But speaking about funny trivia... Do you know why Mario looks this way? Like with the overalls and the mustache and the hat? Not 100%. They designed him a certain way, but I don't know the specifics. So his appearance is popular culture now. He is this person that wears overalls, he has a mustache, and he wears a hat. And that is basically because at the dawn of the video game era, so when they designed him, because they only had a limited number of pixels, they drew overalls so that you could see his hands. So his arms would be different than the rest of his body. So like the red sleeves and the blue let's say torso they designed the mustache so they could use like one or two or three pixels rather than just show nothing under his nose because the pixels weren't small enough to draw a mouth so they did a mustache and they gave him a hat because they couldn't animate hair moving while he was like running or jumping i love that it's the ingenuity how the limitations of a technology push the creativity to create the character and look good yeah exactly and he's been you know iconic since then to the point that now we're talking 35 years later he is still wearing the same thing then because they gave him a hat and overalls then they kind of said he kind of looks like a plumber and i think it was the mustache that identified him as an italian (laughs) (laughs) if you haven't heard about our episode on stereotypes maybe you should listen to stereotypical years and years and years later they gave him the really annoying voice the it's me mario voice which is uh pretty annoying but the thing is like he's so popular like no one really finds him offensive plus i think nintendo has positioned him as like this loving character above stereotypes and racism and that stuff one incredible thing about mario is that as you've mentioned he's over 30 years old yet he is still relevant today he has been reinvented several times whilst always being identifiable he has gone from pixelated to 16-bit to 3D. He's gone into cartoon form. 
movie form, but we won't talk about that Bob Hoskins movie because that was terrible. And he still lives on today. Like the most recent Switch releases still focus on Mario and the Mario universe. Yeah, and relevant is exactly the right word because we still see a lot of games with mascots from way back. But Mario games, they were great in the 80s and they're still great in the 2020s. One thing that they did super well back in the day, if you remember, Mario was the platformer and all the others were just trying to copy them. They've always managed to evolve him. I remember fondly Super Mario Bros. 3 with all sorts of like crazy levels, like the levels where you're a giant, the levels where everything is small, desert levels, beach levels, sea levels, like there was all sorts of random stuff. And that's when they really started to go crazy. When the Nintendo 64 came out, they were one of the few that really handled the move to 3D very well. Like to this day, Mario 64 is a great game. Recently... Mario 64 was re-released on the Switch with the anniversary edition celebrating the 35 years of Mario. And one thing which we now take for granted is that no one knew how to do 3D when 3D became possible. Mario nailed the core mechanics which set the footprint and the standard for all 3D games since. And it's not an accomplishment to be downplayed. Like, the camera work, the centering of the character, the movement dynamics, level design, they nailed everything. Yeah, with the classic Nintendo thing of keeping the game fun. Yes. But in a world where everyone was struggling to move to 3D, they nailed it, like on the first try, which I think is just incredible. And then, but then it's not only the Mario games, it's the spin-offs that are super incredible. Like, Mario Tennis, Mario Kart, Dr. Mario, Mario the Olympics. They have all sorts of weird random spin-offs that are also really fun and they turn out to be really good party games as well. Agree. I mean, Mario Kart is arguably as big as just Mario. Absolutely. It's the party game, in my opinion, because everybody can pick it up. Everybody can play it and anybody could win. You don't need to be great at it. I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, but Mario Kart is one of the games which has perfected the art of rubber banding, i.e. if you are stuck really behind the rest of the pack, the game has mechanics which will help bring you forwards and next to the other players. So that the game is always very balanced. If someone's a ridiculously good racer, he is more likely to get penalized by events in the game. The races are always tight, which makes them fun because you never know who's going to win. Yeah, exactly. All right. Okay, Des. So what's your favorite 2D Mario game? Ooh, um, do you count the original Mario Kart as 2D? No, that's the spin-off game. I mean, like the 2D ones, the platformer ones. Oh, okay. So I think I would have to say Mario 3. Simply because it introduced a lot of variety. Like, you know, when he was like a raccoon, he could fly. Yeah, the tanuki suit. Exactly. So that for me was the beginning of the potential of Mario. It was such a versatile character. Okay, cool. My favorite one. And this is maybe it's a little bit obscure. I don't know. But have you played Super Mario Land 2 on the Game Boy? Yes. I loved that game. Fun fact, it's the one that introduces wario as a character oh really yeah because he's the bad guy on that nintendo loves to do these like light world versus dark world kind of thing and so wario kind of takes over and wario is a play on the name mario because it's just like an upside down m is a w he's just like evil mario and that's how he started out and then they like spun him off into like a completely different direction but the levels were absolutely bonkers like there was a a level that you're like inside a body or inside a whale 
there's a level that you're in space, like a Halloween level that you're playing against like skeletons and stuff. And it was just crazy, but it was so much fun. One of my favorites. Okay, so favorite 2D game. Yeah. Now they're all in 3D. So which is your favorite of the 3D generation? You know, we talked about this not too long ago about how Mario Odyssey is such a good game. It nails everything. And it's also incredibly crazy and ridiculous. And the fact that you can impersonate other characters by using your hat is like a really cool mechanic. And there's the spoiler at the end where you use your hat on like a well-known character and it's just insane. But I loved Galaxy. Mario Galaxy for me was the best one. 100% in agreement. Before this pandemic, we started drinking beer as we do. And we started talking about the first Galaxy and how we were blown away by just the game mechanics. Because even the control was the Wii Remote. And it was just a new way of interacting with Mario. You're upside down, you're riding a wave, you're big, you're small, you're living on a little planet. It was just bonkers fun. It was so crazy. And every level was so different and yet entertaining. And they weren't too long either. Like it wasn't overly challenging. It was that perfect balance of difficult yet fun. Yeah, exactly. But this is classic Nintendo. Like they'll stick to their classics, but always find a way to like reinvent them and make them fun. Galaxy was it for me. Honestly, when I bought the Wii back in the day, I didn't really want to buy Galaxy because it really felt like a like it felt like a children's game, you know, like all these colors. Mario's always like happy running around and everything. But then I played it and I couldn't stop. It's just such a good game. I saw you play it first and then I went and bought a Wii and the Galaxy just to play it. And wasn't it worth it? Also, the Wii was really cheap back then. Yeah, it was really cheap. And lastly, what is your favorite spin-off game? And this could be like the card series, tennis, whatever. I need to think of this one. I'll tell you which mine is. I think it kind of qualifies like a 2D or maybe 3D game. But do you remember Paper Mario? Yes. That one. I think the one for the Wii, I think it was called Super Paper Mario. Okay. I love that one. It's like an RPG. Have you played it? Not the paper ones, no. Oh, man. Because they released a new one just like a few, a couple of months ago, I think. Yeah, the Origami King. Yeah, which looks super funny. The one for the Wii, the Super Paper Mario, you play in 2D, but then Mario is able to kind of flip the world and go into 3D. But he's still a piece of paper. (laughs) Because it's an RPG, there's a lot of text and there's like a story behind it. And it's really fun how they managed to incorporate this mechanic into an RPG game. That one was, uh, was my favorite. And then special mention for Mario Kart. I don't care which one, they're all fun. Having had a bit of time to think about this now, I think Mario Kart probably clinches it for me. Even though not every iteration was fantastic. I think they're all pretty good. But like the first one was just outrageous, like a brand new novel concept. Yeah. Then like the the 64 one was fun, but I think the limitations of the N64, especially like nowadays, it doesn't quite age well. Yeah. And then the Mario Kart Wii was super. I missed the one on the Wii U, but that's been re-released as Mario Kart 7, I think, on the Switch. 8. Sorry, Mario Kart 8, correct. I've got it. I've played it. I like it but I haven't fallen in love with it. Oh, okay. I don't know. When I have people over, that's usually the first game we start playing. Talking about things which didn't survive the 3D transition. We could use Sonic the Hedgehog 
as a metaphor for the rise and fall of Sega. Yeah, absolutely. Man, they got it so wrong. Fun fact for the audience, Google Sega and find out what it means in Italian. P-S-N-S-F-W. Not safe for work. (laughs) Well, no, depends. Yeah, so Sega created, just because they found Nintendo being incredibly popular with Mario and with the 2D platformer, back in the 90s, they needed to come up with something. And so they came up with Sonic, which takes the concept of Mario in a way and turns it up to 11 by making Sonic like this really quick moving character that can like run around and then like these levels, like he can roll into a ball and he can like kind of shoot across levels, which which apparently was very fun. I never really played them. I used to have a Nintendo. Nevertheless, they were really fun. When the world kind of moved to 3D, the 3D Sonic games didn't really work or they weren't exactly fun or they weren't as fun as the Mario ones. And so they got lost and the franchise kind of ended there. Like they they would release uh, a Sonic game here and there, but none of them really captured the magic of the original ones. And we all know the unfortunate fate of Sega as a console making entity because the Dreamcast, even though it was well-received, didn't sell phenomenally well, and that was their last foray in console-making, and hence the need of a mascot disappeared with that final console. And the next generation of consoles, i.e. the Xbox and the PlayStation, they have both tried incredibly hard to have a mascot to champion their console and ecosystem. And I think Microsoft probably have had the most success because they knew they needed an exclusive when they released the Xbox and they were pitching their console as a more powerful, more adult-oriented machine. They had Halo as an exclusive, which is obviously more militaristic in concept and it has Master Chief. But I think it was a success because especially in North America, you talk about Xbox and you already think about Halo and Master Chief. Yeah, absolutely. Despite the fact that he's like this character that like doesn't speak, doesn't do anything, anything. He just shoots <laughs> aliens and bad guys. It's the American dream. He just shoots everything. Yeah, no talking, just shooting. But yeah, Master Chief is definitely one of the big characters for the Xbox. And I feel like PlayStation kind of had it at the beginning because when they launched the first one, they had Crash Bandicoot, which was a series of pretty good games. I, I haven't really played them, so I don't know. They were quite successful, but I feel like as they moved on to like PlayStation 2 and 3 and 4, that kind of got lost. I think with the PlayStation 3, they tried to have another little mascot with the Little Big Planet series and the the Sackboy, but mm, I don't feel like it worked very well. Just a side note, part of news again, Crash Bandicoot 4 is being re-released on the Switch. And I saw on the news that they are making a limited edition gamepad with Crash Bandicoot theming on it. So it's quite nice to see that that character is making a comeback, but he's no longer exclusively tied to the PlayStation brand. Which is fine. It doesn't really suit the PS5 market, really, does it? No, because I think they're positioning themselves as this, like, super serious, no-nonsense console. I don't know if games like the Nintendo ones would fit necessarily on it. But it's good to see that Crash Bandicoot ends up on a Nintendo console, because then that means we could end up maybe one day seeing it in Smash Bros. Exactly. I love the cross-platform collaborations which they set up for Smash Brothers. You, if I remember correctly, were completely enamored with the initial advert for Super Smash Brothers. 
Yeah, for the N64. It's so funny. We'll link it in the notes. But it's basically, you see all the Nintendo characters. You see, like, Mario, Pikachu, uh, Yoshi, like, walking around and running around in a in a field, in a sunny field. And then all of a sudden, they start beating each other up. And it's just so funny. But that's what the game is. You can almost picture the boardroom where they came up with the idea. Where it's like, but what if Luigi beat Mario? And every iteration of the game, so the one for the GameCube, for the Wii, and now for the Switch... Every iteration just has way more characters. It seems like it just got way out of hand. The latest one, what's it called? Ultimate. Yeah. Now has characters from other software houses as well. Like they have people from Street Fighter. They have Sonic made it. Metal Gear Solid. Final Fantasy, I think. Yeah, loads from Final Fantasy. Like it's no longer a Nintendo thing. It's like a video game thing. And it's just so exciting to see. Yeah, but what if Pac-Man fought Bowser? And you can do that now. (laughs) Not only do they have all these characters and have sorted out the intellectual property so that it can actually feature in the game, but like every time you get a character, you get that childish sensation of like, oh, it's Sonic. Oh, I'm playing a snake. And the characters all have very unique moves. It's not like just copy and paste of the same moves. Like each character is so individual that the game is just a hoot. Yeah, like it really respects the heritage of each character, like with their own moves and also with the stages. Like you can play in 2D Mario stages. My favorite ones are like Metroid ones. Every stage comes with a memory, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's a great game and we're not the only ones. If you have even the slightest interest in consoles and gaming, you will be aware of Super Smash Brothers. And yeah, it's fantastic. It brings the mascots of all these different franchises and pits them against each other in the ultimate battle. (laughs) To be perfectly honest, I don't love, love the game. I don't love fighting games in general. You can't not get this one because it's just crazy. I just find it like completely bananas, this game, which is really fun. Okay, so we've spoken about mascots long enough, and I feel as if you're not a gamer, we should probably change the topic to something else. That's right. I have a great, great, great recommendation for a series to watch. Okay. What is it? Last weekend, we were bored, so we started looking for random things to watch and ended up on a series called State of the Union with uh, Rosamund Pike, which you may know from Gone Girl, and Chris O'Dowd from the IT crowd. He is not Moss, the other one. Roy. Yes, that's right, Roy. So they are 10 episodes, 10 minutes each. So it's very, very quick to watch. The premise is that they're a married couple. They're going through some difficult times. The beginning of each episode is them meeting each other in the pub that's just outside of their couple's therapist, where they just kind of talk for 10 minutes and then go into therapy. You never see them in therapy. You never see them anywhere else. You just see them talk for 10 minutes in the pub. He drinks a beer. She drinks a wine. They talk about what's going on because every episode is a week later. Every episode is um, them kind of like, okay, but what are we going to tell her now? Or the therapist, like, what are we going to do? And it's just so well written. It's uh, written by Nick Hornby. So from um, High Fidelity, About a Boy, and so on. It's just so well written. It's so cute. It's charming because you can tell that they still love each other. There's great chemistry between the two, but they're going through some difficult stuff. So like throughout the story, things happen. And obviously you don't see them happening. You just know that they happen because of how they talk about it. And it's just such a quick series to watch because it's, again, it's a 10 minute episode. Sometimes it makes you uncomfortable 
uncomfortable because you know they want to be together, but they don't really know about if they do. And it just feels so real. It's funny. They make fun of each other. It's witty. I loved it. So if you can find it, watch it because it's super worth it. The fact that you said that they last... 10 minutes each sold it to me. Yeah, exactly. In just over an hour and a half, you've watched all the first season. And recently they've been renewed for a second season. It's meant to be a different couple. So it's not them two. So let's see how that works out. But yeah, like it works so well. I loved it. Okay, we've rambled long enough and I can see you've finished your Guinness. Marco, how was your beer? You know, I've lived in Dublin for a long time. You know, Guinness has a special place in my heart. Also, it was basically the only thing I drank the first year that I was there. So like, I grew up in a way with Guinness. What can I say? It's Guinness. And it's St. Patrick's week. So yeah, let's say five out of six. It's Guinness. I think everybody knows Guinness. A lot of people don't like it. I know it's an acquired taste. Stouts in general are an acquired taste, but I love it. I don't think Guinness needs any introduction, but it's the standard at which all stouts are measured. Yeah. And according to like 1960s commercials, it's good for you. Although it isn't. (laughs) Yeah, disclaimer. No, it's not. But anyway, how's your free beer? I have to admit that Brewdog make much better beers. Than who? Than this one. Oh, okay. But considering it's made with surplus fresh bread. Just call it trash, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's trash beer. (laughs) It's okay. So that's a compliment because it's a carbon negative beer made with leftovers. (laughs) And I would give it a solid three out of six. A solid. Sorry. Yes, of course. (laughs) But, you know, it's made with scrap and it tastes decent. Like I would pick it over a Heineken any day, but it's better for the environment and it's better as a beer. But it's not Brewdog's best. Okay. Do they sell it now? Like, or it was just like a, pro- a promotional stunt? No, no, no. I think they sell it, but I think they'd set up the new line to produce yeah. it. And so they had like a promotion at the beginning, giving it away for free. All right. Well, good to know. So if you want some carbon, nu- no, neutral or carbon positive? Carbon negative. Carbon negative. Sorry. Carbon negative beer. You can uh, definitely check out the, the Brewdog that Des is drinking. Having said that, Des. I shall talk to you next week. And guys, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next week. See you next time, guys. Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong.